Well, good morning, church. Yeah, Pastor Taylor was right. You guys are kind of the friendly ones. Pretty nice. Why don't you stand to your feet? It's been a little quiet around here this morning. I think it's the rain. But uh, hey, listen, if you're a guest with us, uh, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at the church. And uh, these are the moments in our gatherings where we're going to come around the scriptures. We believe here at Calvary that the Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe it is relevant for us today. And so we look to these moments as a community to come around the scriptures, to learn more about who God is and who Jesus is and how are we called to respond with our lives to the saving message of Jesus Christ. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter three. And we're in a series called Faith Under Pressure. We're looking at the seven messages to the seven churches in Revelation. And today we're focusing on the church in Sardis. The word of the Lord would say this, beginning in verse one. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. And if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Father God, we ask that you would take this word that you would plant it deep within our hearts, Lord God. We always take these moments to say, Father, if there's anything that is distracting us in this time, would you quiet our hearts? Would you still our minds? Would you allow us to receive exactly what it is that you would see fit for this moment? And so, Father, we love you, and we thank you, and we worship you, and you're precious in your holy name. We pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. This past Wednesday, I had driven home from the office and I pulled up to my house and in the window was my son, my little three-year-old son, Otto, and he was staring out the window. And as I pulled up to the driveway and looked at his face, it looked to me like he had been sleeping. Now that's not typically a big deal, but it was 5.30 in the afternoon. Now, you parents who are giggling, you understand the reality of this. If your kid is sleeping at 5.30 in the afternoon, bedtime is going to be tough. We'll just put it that way. And so I'm staring at his face and I, I begin to walk in the house and his hair is like cockeyed over here and his eyes just look like the kid's been taking a nap. And so I went to my mom who was watching him and I said, Mom, has Otto been sleeping? She kind of looked at me really guilty like... Yes, he has. And in my head, I'm just like, Mom, how could you do this to me? Uh, Mom, I thought you loved me. How could you allow him to fall asleep this late in the day? His cutoff point is 1 p.m. sharp. And of course, as a good son, I just told my mom, it's okay, Mom. I forgive, I forgive you. Why don't you just go ahead and head on home now? And as my mom left, I thought, there's so many ways to keep a kid awake. You know, like... 
give him ice cream or like just throw him in front of a show. I don't care. You know, jiggle his legs, do anything, but you cannot let him go to sleep. Not this late in the day. And in fact, he did not go to bed till it was almost close to 11 p.m. that night before I could finally get him to go to sleep because she could not keep him awake. Now, this theme of keeping things awake, it's actually a theme that we see in the scriptures. Uh, Not physically keeping things awake, but spiritually keeping things awake. Uh, Jesus in the gospels, he says over all the time, he goes, you know, wake up, be on guard, be on watch, be alert. And it's interesting because in the gospels, Jesus is saying these words as a warning to those who might But when we get to the the message to the church in Sardis, it's no longer a warning for those who may, it's actually a a challenge to those who have. The church in Sardis had spiritually fallen asleep. They were spiritually dead and Jesus is going to speak to them what to do if they that happens. And I think that as we've said over and over with this series, while yes, these are messages to seven churches, real churches thousands of years ago, we also know that what they speak of is important for us as well. And so we look to this text today with open hearts and open minds to receive what God might want to speak to us today. Now, Jesus begins this message like every other message he has had so far. What does he do? He actually begins by identifying himself. And one thing that we need to know is that in each message to these seven churches, Jesus identifies himself in a way that is pertinent to their need. So as you begin to see how he identifies himself, you'll begin to understand a little bit as to what it is that this church might need. Let's listen to his words. He says in verse one, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now the number seven, we talked about this a few weeks ago when we looked at the church in Ephesus. In the scriptures, the number seven, it represents completeness or perfection. So in essence here, The seven spirits denotes the completeness of the Holy Spirit. There's something about the Holy Spirit that this church needs to understand. Now, Jesus continues on and he says, I know your works. Now, we gotta watch something that takes place here because in all the other messages that we've looked at, there's been this framework. Jesus kind of shares who he is. Then he gives an encouragement. Then he gives a challenge. And then ultimately there is a future hope. And I want you to see what takes place here. Jesus is going to bypass any encouragement for this church. And he's going to get right to the challenge. But he begins by prefacing it with, I know your works. Jesus is aware of what is transpiring in his church. Not just the church in Sardis thousands of years ago. He knows what is going on right here at Calvary. And I want you to be aware of something. When I say Calvary, I am not talking about this place like an organization. Although God knows everything of what's going on here. But let me tell you, the church is made up of individual people who have said yes to and profess faith in Jesus. 
So when Jesus says, I know the works, I know your works as a church, he's saying, listen, I know every single person who makes up this body and I know what is going on inside them. I know what they're dealing with. I know what they're struggling with. I know the areas where they're hurt. I know the areas where they are experiencing deep joy. I know what is going on in my church. And because Jesus knows what is going on in his church, he makes this statement. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Ouch, that stings a little. Imagine be the recipient of that type of a message. Yeah, it kind of appears that you might be, you have a reputation to those in the outside community, but the reality is because I know your works, because I know your heart, because I know who you are, I know the depths of your being, I know the real you, you might have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now, from an outside perspective, no one in the outside culture would have deemed this church to be dead. In fact, even the other churches in Asia Minor, they, they too would not have come to the conclusion that this church was dead. But remember, Jesus knows what's really going on. He understands the depth of what is taking place. And so he can make that claim. Now, this is not a physical death, as many of us have probably already presumed, but it's a spiritual one. It's a spiritual death because Jesus knows the inner reality. He knows what is transpiring in their heart. He knows what is transpiring in their soul. What Jesus says here is, I know the real you. I know your true self. I know what is really going on. And you might have this reputation, but I'm telling you it is false because I know you. So what I want us to begin to process with the time that we have together is what can lead us to a spiritual death? Because again, if these messages are yes to this congregation, but they also speak to us as well, there is a great chance that there are many people even in this room right now who Jesus might say the same thing. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are spiritually dead. And so how does that begin to happen? I mean, if I'm spiritually dead, I'd like to know what I'm doing that would lead to that type of a death, would you not? So as we begin to look at the church in Sardis, there's a couple things that we'll begin to realize. It seems like the church in Sardis began to become more informed by the spirit of the city that they were in than the spirit of God. 700 years before the writing of Revelation, Sardis was one of the great cities of the world. At the time, it was under a king named King Cretius. And this city was an active commercial city and it was very wealthy. And at one point, the city and the people were so wealthy that a, a warning came from someone in Rome. And I'm gonna paraphrase it a little bit, but this was the warning that came to King Cretius. King Cretius, your city and your people are becoming so wealthy that they are becoming fat, lazy, and indifferent. See, the city's wealth seemed to lead to an inevitable slackness. The city that once had significant fame as a royal city now was nothing. William Ramsey, who wrote a book called The Letter to the Seven Churches in Asia, makes this claim. He says, no city of Asia at that time 
showed such a melancholy contrast between past splendor and present day decay as Sardis. It was said about Sardis that it was a city of peace, but not a city of peace because of of a battle that is won, but the peace of a man whose dreams are dead, whose mind is asleep, the peace of lethargy and evasion. And what took place in the church in Sardis is that it began to reflect this in its essence, in its ethos. The church in Sardis, one might be able to describe as being spiritually apathetic. There was a spiritual apathy that had taken place. And maybe their spiritual apathy is what led Jesus to make the claims that he did in verse two, where he says, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Maybe much like the city, they start things well. They get excited about the, you know, the way of Jesus. They get excited about some new things in the church. They, they press in for just a little bit, but slowly over time, they lose interest. They never really bring things to completion. Maybe like their city, they began to be indifferent. And what happens with spiritual apathy is that it oftentimes leads to what we might call spiritual accommodation. Something interesting about this church in Sardis. You know, other churches that we've read of so far in this series, they were, their faith was under pressure. They were dealing with persecution. I mean, churches like Smyrna, significant pressure and persecution. But what's interesting about the church in Sardis is that the Jews and the Romans apparently left them undisturbed. Their faith was not under pressure. And I want you to begin to think, why might that be? If other churches in the area, their faith was under pressure, what would be alleviating it for this church? One theologian would describe it in this way. Sardis was content with mediocrity lacking both the enthusiasm to entertain a heresy and the depth of conviction which provokes intolerance, it was too innocuous to be worth persecuting. Basically what had happened is that the church silently had accommodated itself to the injustice and the immorality of the city around it. And their spiritual apathy began to lead the people in Sardis in this church to be of a shallow conviction causing them to be informed by and to participate in this, what we might call kind of a a get-along culture that was part of this city's DNA. And historians have showed us there's actually a lot of different proof that that's in fact what the city of Sardis was. It was kind of just this get-along culture. Very leaning into this idea, this polytheistic, just everyone just kind of worship what you want to worship, but kind of just mind your own business, we'll all be okay with one another. When historians begin to do um, excavations of Sardis, they found the Jewish synagogue. And they found some things that were really interesting in this synagogue. One was the, the altar. And at the side of the altar was actually engraved a Roman eagle. Now I guarantee you in Jerusalem you would never see that. In fact, there was actually other Roman animals that were carved in stone around the synagogue. There were uh, impressions on the walls from Lydian culture. 
See, what has happened is that everything was kind of just beginning to, to get along with one another. And Sardis, as a church, began to fit right in. See, the reality is if the church tolerated the get-along culture, the get-along culture would tolerate the church. But this is where we need to be really honest with ourselves, those of us in this room who profess faith in Jesus. The words of Jesus are a deep challenge to this type of culture. I mean, listen to his words in John 14, 6. I don't know how to get past this, but here's what he says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is a very exclusive claim. That is not a claim that's going to fit well in a get-along culture. Jesus is not saying there's a lot of different ways to experience eternal life. He's saying, no, 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 there is one way. I am that way. Life is found in me. And if you want life everlasting with God, who is the creator of all things, you have to go through me. There is no other option. See, friends, we need to realize that Jesus did not come to participate in a get-along culture. He makes the exclusive claim that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, that no one comes to the Father but through him. Jesus did not come to collaborate with the ideologies of the world. He came to reveal them for what they are. He came to expose the powers and the authorities behind them. He came to reveal the beauty of the kingdom of God and then to invite us to follow him into it. He did not come for collaboration. He came to declare the reality that there is a kingdom of God and if you want to participate in it, you have to come through me. Maybe when Jesus said to this church that their works were incomplete, I wonder if part of that was the work of evangelism. Because can we just be honest? If you want to get along with culture, it's also hard to have a culture of evangelism in your church. Because with evangelism, there's this reality that you have to realize that you and of yourself are not enough. That you as a human being cannot save yourself from your sin. And we all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And so I wonder if maybe part of, again, their works being incomplete is they just stopped sharing the beautiful message of Jesus. They stopped calling out injustice for what it was. And they just kind of got quiet about their faith and more introspective maybe of their faith. But the reality is God has called his church into a mission. See, here's the reality. The easiest way for the church to avoid pressure is to avoid purpose. You don't want to have any pressure in your faith? Just stop pursuing the purposes of God. Like that, it'll be gone. But we know as followers of Jesus that we're called to something more. The church in Sardis, they really began to listen more to the voice of culture than they did the voice of the Holy Spirit. And here's what happens. Spiritual apathy and accommodation quenches and it grieves the Holy Spirit. And where it leaves you is a place of spiritual deprivation. I love this from Daryl Johnson. He says these words, we are always on the brink of going down, of losing authentic life. 
We have entered a life we cannot live apart from relationship, apart from the power that flows from relationship. Once individual disciples and congregations no longer live in the power of Jesus' spirit, the forms may remain. The forms may remain, the services may remain, the singing might remain, the VBS might remain, but the inner reality will be gone. And we find ourselves attempting for God only what human resources allow. We no longer push ourselves out into the deep water where we are beyond our own resources. We settle for being comfortable and safe. And like the disciples in Sardis, we are no longer able to distinguish between the peace of well-being and the peace of death. The church in Sardis might have very well been the first church that we might call filled with nominal Christians. Really by name only. They claimed the name of being a believer in Jesus. But they, they stopped pursuing the mission. They stopped pursuing their purpose. They stopped responding to the power of the spirit that was within them. This power that wanted to, to press them into the culture to declare the beauty and the reality of the kingdom of God. So what does Jesus say to them? Here's the beauty of Jesus. He does not leave dead things dead. See, even in the midst of the time where this church may have spiritually fallen asleep, they spiritually were dead, Jesus still says, guess what? You can wake up. You don't have to stay in this state of spiritual deprivation. That's the beauty of the person of Jesus. He does not leave dead things dead. He invites and allows us to enter into goodness and mercy and grace. So what does he tell them? He says, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. How do we wake up? How do we strengthen what remains? Well, continue on. What does he take? He says, remember then. Remember what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you're the type who needs a formula, there you go. Verse three. Remember the things of God and what he has done for you. Remember what you have received. Here's just a few examples of some things that we might need to draw to our attention. How about remembering the reality that we are in Christ? Apostle Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Those of you in this room who have professed faith in Jesus, you have received the free gift of salvation. Your sins are justified by what Jesus did on the cross and now you are experiencing this beautiful theological provision of being in Christ Jesus. And that should draw you to a place of peace and a place of rest because your soul is secure but we're not called just to be in Christ. We're called to remember that we are to be like Christ. First John 2, 6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. We don't get to just sit back and enjoy the grace of God. We're called to now begin to uh, experience transformation. That the life that you live needs to begin to shift and to become different. We are called to be people of distinction. You need to be growing into a person of love. You need to be growing into a person that has more compassion for people. You need to be growing in the characteristics of Jesus. You are not just in Christ, you are to be like Christ. And ultimately, you are then to be for Christ. 
and to be for his mission. The Apostle Paul tells us that we are God's handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There is work that God has for us to do. And the work is not just attending church on a Sunday. The work is to be lived out in every aspect of your life. Everything that you do is an opportunity to display the realities of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. There are people around you in your workspaces, in your families, who desperately, whether they have it, maybe the reputation that everything's good on the outside, there's probably a depth of them that has this little part of them that they cannot deal with because they're missing something and they need you to reveal what that thing is. They need you to step out. And what's so incredible about Jesus is that he's so good that it's not just that we're in Christ to be like Christ and to be for Christ, but also we're empowered by the spirit of God to do these things. You know, it's interesting when you look at the disciples before Jesus ascends to heaven, Jesus communicates to them their purpose, right? Go into all the world. Baptize, teach people, show them what it means to be a disciple. But then in Luke, what he tells them is that, but wait for the power that's going to come. Catch this. For them, it was, here's your purpose, now wait for the power. I think for us today and for Sardis, it was, listen, you have access to power, I'm just waiting for you to fulfill your purpose. See, there is, Holy Spirit wants to do something in his church. Wants to release something really significant and special in this time. But we have to be awakened to that. And we have to be stepping into the movements and the moments in life that would rely on the Holy Spirit. I think oftentimes we don't sense the Holy Spirit's working in our life because we're not doing the types of things that the Holy Spirit needs to be activated to help lead us into. So we need to realize that empowering of the Holy Spirit. Today is actually Pentecost Sunday. 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, he was with his disciples and then he he ascended to heaven. He said, go into Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit's power. This is the day that we are reminded of that happening, that empowerment beginning. But are we walking in it now? Are we awakened to it now? Now, Jesus ends these messages with a future hope. He says, yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Can I tell you friends, there's always a few You look through the biblical narrative, there's always a few people who don't bow to Caesar. There's always a few people who will listen to what God is trying to do in their life. There's always that what we've called the remnant, that group of people who wanna be part of that remnant. Those who will hear what the Spirit says and repent. Those who are willing to acknowledge their own spiritual apathy and where they have accommodated to the culture around them. 
There will always be some who will be empowered by the Spirit of God and stand true to the Word of God and to practice the way of Jesus, even in times of mounting pressure. And for those who do, there is a beautiful hope for the future. And so here's what I want us to do for just a few moments. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back out. And here's what I sensed as I was preparing this week. I don't think that we create enough space just to be. I mean, as I look out into this room, I just guarantee that there are so many of you who are restless right now. This might be the most you've taken a seat in a long time. Some of you, you parents in the room, you know, home for you isn't really restful. If you're anything like me, you're just running around after kids. <laughs> Maybe this is the first time this week where you've actually just got to be sit and to be quiet. And I would like for us to actually do something with that time. I've got a couple questions that I want us to ask. And before I ask those questions, I do want to make one statement. I know that there are probably people in this room or maybe watching online right now where you have not yet made a decision to follow after Jesus. And a lot of maybe what I've said today, maybe it makes no sense to you, but for whatever reason, it means something to you. And I just wanna maybe invite some individuals in this room today. Maybe you need to say yes to Jesus today. Maybe there is that sense in your soul that you are looking for something more than what the world has to offer and you've just been waiting for someone to tell you what that is. Let me tell you, what that is, is Jesus. I said this earlier, but I will remind every single one of us in this room, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. And because of that, we needed a savior. And God in his gracious provision and mercy sent his son to do what we could not do for ourselves and to pay a penalty that we could never pay. And he died on a cross for you. And again, you might not, I don't even know what that means, but something tells me that I need it. Good, just sit in that. And receive that free gift of salvation today. Now, for those of us who have walked with Jesus for some time, I've got two questions I want you to ponder. Here's question one. Where in your life have you allowed culture to guide you more than the spirit? Like the church in Sardis, they started listening to the voice of the culture more than the voice of the spirit. Where might you also be doing that in your own life? And then here's the second question. What in your life has the reputation of being alive but is dead? See, maybe you have the reputation of a vibrant spiritual life, but the reality is you cannot remember the last time you said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. You know, maybe you have the reputation of a thriving marriage, but the reality is years ago, you stopped loving your wife like Christ loves the church. Maybe you have the reputation of being a Christ follower, but the reality is you are following after many ideologies and you do not even know what you believe anymore. Maybe you have the reputation of being a servant, but the reality is serving has become a coping mechanism for you so that you can avoid the pain of what's really going on inside. 
Maybe you have the reputation of being loving, but you are filled with hate. Maybe you have the reputation of a perfect family, but you cannot even look at one of your parents without feeling a sense of rage. Maybe you have the reputation of being so confident, but the reality is you are so insecure that any type of correction sends you spiraling. Maybe you have the reputation of being a great parent, but the reality is you are exhausted from the pursuit of perfection because you have the fear of doing to them what your parents did to you. I don't know what your reputation is, but Jesus knows the reality. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants to invite you to be real with the reality and to be open and to be honest about what's really transpiring in your life. And I get it, it will be super messy. When you start to be real about your true self because you've lived so long operating out of a false self, it is messy to begin with. But in the mess creates opportunity for beauty. Beauty that surpasses all understanding. Beauty that you could never have imagined outside of the working of God and his spirit in your life. So we're gonna sit for two minutes, which isn't long, so no one get restless. If you leave right now, you're gonna break my heart. <laughs> sit for two minutes. And I want you to ponder these questions. The team is just gonna play over us. And here's what I'm gonna say. If at any point... If you have maybe a sense that you just wanna be prayed for this morning, maybe you don't wanna share everything what's going on, but you just wanna be prayed for, I'm gonna invite you just to come down front and myself or Pastor Taylor or Brent or other members of our team would love to pray with you. And then I'm gonna come back up after a couple minutes. I'll pray over us. We're gonna sing one more song in response and then we're gonna go. So let's sit and let's examine our heart this morning.